0: I'm Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the fourth edition of episode 13 in the AIC Bible study video series, New Testament Gospels. In episode 13, I continue discussion of the Gospel of St. Luke with the second of three angelic annunciations, in this case, the most famous one to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the first two of four unique songs in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Magnificat, and the Benedictus, the second of which is associated with the birth of John the Baptist. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in episode 13 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. At the end of Luke 1, verse 25, St. Luke effectively suspended discussion of the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth at the fifth month of Elizabeth's conception of John the Baptist. When we enter the narrative in verse 26, the Blessed Virgin is introduced in St. Luke's richly detailed yet brief style with the story of the second and most famous Annunciation by the Archangel Gabriel. The opening words are among the most famous in Scripture and are read, sung, or said year after year in nativity celebrations around the world. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The illustration is a gospel illumination of what is commonly thought of as the Annunciation, painted in temper and gilt on parchment around 1275 A.D. and attributed to the master of the Braunschweig Magdeburg School from the collection of the Austrian State Library in Vienna, Austria. In just 40 words, St. Luke conveyed a great amount of detail. I discussed the meaning of betrothed in my commentary on St. Matthew's version in Matthew one 18 to 18-25 that occurred in episode 3, noting that it is not the same as the Western concept of engagement or marriage. While he wrote of, Saint, of Joseph's royal descent in the line of David, he did not refer to Isaiah's virgin birth prophecy from Isaiah 7:14. He makes the same point by referring twice to Mary as a virgin in verse 27. This is also the first example of parallelism in St. Luke's Gospel. In this case, the similarities in the divine intervention in the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ. The archangel Gabriel tells Mary to, quote, rejoice, unquote, in his appearance, in verse 28a, saying that, quote, the Lord is with you. The reference to Mary by the title, highly favored one, statement, blessed are you among women, in verse 28, and the rest of the Annunciation is reflected in the church's declaration at the Third Ecumenical Council, which met at Ephesus in 431 AD, that Mary is entitled to be called Theotokos, or God-bearing one in Greek in the translation of Theotokos from the Greek into English, commonly translated as Mother of God in the Western Church. The illustration is a Greek Orthodox icon of the Annunciation, in Greek called Evangelismos, painted in 1825 AD in the Church Museum of the Bishopry of Thessaloniki in Greece. The Holy Spirit is present at the top center in the form of a dove. Gabriel saw Mary's fear and counseled her not to be afraid. The term fear not and its variation, do not be afraid, were discussed in episode 9 in reference to Jesus' use of the same words to the disciples in Mark 6, verse 50. Do not be afraid, Mary In these verses, we hear a theme more like that in St. Matthew's Gospel than in St. Mark's, the divine Son of the Father in the line of David and of the kingdom without end. The illustration is my photograph of the central detail of the Annunciation from a second quarter 20th century stained glass window by Franz Mayer of Munich at St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, from the AIC bookstore publication, Paintings on Light. Unlike Zacharias, who was punished with the loss of the ability to speak for nine months for his doubt and disobedience, Mary's concern was not doubt but fear. She answered Gabriel in verse 34, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And Gabriel reassured and explained in verse 35, saying, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. As the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms version points out, the entire Holy Trinity is present here. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Highest, which refers to the Father and the Son of God, with Holy One as a reference to His messianic title, the Holy One of God or the Holy One of Israel in the Old Testament. The illustration is a first quarter fourteenth century tempera and gilt on panel icon of the Annunciation at the Church of Saint Clement in Orid, formerly Macedonia, and now officially the republic of north macedonia in verse 36 gabriel reveals a fact not mentioned before and not mentioned anywhere else in the new testament that elizabeth was mary's relative christian tradition calls them cousins verse 36 and 37 now indeed elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. St. Mary's response to Gabriel in verse 38 was one of faith and obedience to the will of God. Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. The illustrations are first the Annunciation the upper scene in a two-scene miniature in colored inks and gold on parchment from a psalter produced near Oxford, England in the first quarter of the 13th century but before 1220 A.D. from manuscript Royal 1D10, Oleo 1, from the collection at the British Library, London, England. And the second, the Annunciation an Illumination in colored inks and gold on parchment one of a series of scenes in the life of Christ in the Hitta Codex, a gospel book made for Hitta, abbess of the convent at Meschede, Germany in the North Randline-Westphalia state during the Ottonian period of the revived Holy Roman Empire in Western Europe, made around 10 to 20 A.D. from the collection at the Universitäts und Landesbibliothek, Darmstadt, Germany. Gabriel departs from the Annunciation narrative in verse 38, and St. Luke returns Elizabeth to the forefront in verses 39 to 45. Again, St. Luke employs few words, this time 51, in another narrative of miraculous events that would become part of Christian doctrine. This angelic appearance is called the Visitation. Now when Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth's blessing upon Mary is a major source of the Christian teaching concerning the special worthiness of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom, as the title Theotokos suggests, is the one and only woman allowed to be so near to God. The illustration, the visitation, is the lower scene in a two-scene miniature in colored inks and gold from the Psalter produced at Oxford, England, in the first quarter of the 13th century mentioned earlier from M.S. Royal 1D10 in the British Library, London, England. St. Luke reveals Elizabeth's modesty in his question-and-answer format in verses 43 and 44. And the reason for Mary's blessedness in verse 45. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the lord. Verse 45 is another example of St. Luke's emphasis on the concept of a faith response to the gospels. Mary is blessed because she believed. The illustration is the Visitation, a scene from a miniature illumination in temper and gold on parchment from the Codex Arius of Ecternac made in Ecternach-Luxembourg, which was then part of Germany, in the early 11th century. St. Mary then sings from her heart the first of the four unique songs in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Magnificat. The title is the first words of the song in Latin. It has an Old Testament parallel in the Jewish maternity prayer, the Song of Hannah, from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. The Magnificat is revered in the traditional church as a high form of devotional hymn in Marian devotions. Marian songs and prayers are an integral part of Christian practice, especially for Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox Christians, and for a great many Anglicans. The illustration, the Magnificat, is an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot one of a series of scenes in the life of Christ he painted between 1886 and 1894 AD from the collection of the Brooklyn Museum, Brooklyn, New York. In addition to its usefulness in Marian devotions, the Magnificat also illustrates in verses 49 and 50 the Church's traditional belief in the power and majesty of God and the concept of fear of the Lord. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The illustration is Christ in Majesty, a miniature illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the Oxford Psalter cited earlier from MS Royal 1DX, in this case Folio 8V. In the British Library at London, England. The four Gospel authors are represented by their traditional symbols in the four corners, clockwise from the top left, the man or angel representing Matthew, the eagle representing St. John, the lion representing St. Mark, and the ox representing St. Luke. As his narrative continues in verses 57 to 80, which completes chapter 1, St. Luke removes one character, Mary, and brings back Elizabeth and Zacharias at the birth of their son, John the Baptist. Where St. Matthew relies more heavily upon direct instruction in Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, St. Luke's approach is far more subtle. He assumes that readers know the significance of certain details, that the infant, John's, of the infant John's circumcision being required on the eighth day under the Mosaic law, as would Jesus' circumcision in chapter 2, verse 21, and that it is also the day on which a Jewish child is named and accepted into the covenant relationship between God and the Hebrew nation. This scene is the second example in the Gospel of St. Luke of parallelism in the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Throughout this scene, the illustration is a fresco of the birth of John the Baptist at the Greek Orthodox Church in the Christian quarter of Jerusalem. The still mute John the Baptist is shown lower right, writing his son's name on a pad as described in verse 63. According to St. Luke's account, when Elizabeth instructed the priest that the child would be named John, the priest brought up the traditional objection that no male in the family of Zacharias had ever been, quote, called by this name in verse 61. Zacharias, still unable to speak, wrote on a tablet affirming the name John. Now in verses 63b and 64 comes another revelation illustrative of St. Luke's style and also of St. Mark's use of marveled and immediately. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. This illustrates Elizabeth's point in chapter 1 verse 45 and Gabriel's in 1 verse 20 that what the Lord spoke would be fulfilled. This is but another way for St. Luke to support the underlying message of his gospel, God delivers on his promises. For their reaction in their hearts of the witnesses to this remarkable event, St. Luke relies upon the question format to increase expectation about what is to come. What kind of child would this be in verse 66? The answer is found in the Song of Zacharias, known as the Benedictus. A grateful and relieved Zacharias, now filled with the Holy Spirit, broke into song in verses 68 to 79. Called the Benedictus, it is the second of four unique songs in the Gospel of St. Luke. It is a thanksgiving, a prophecy, and a song of faith in God affirming that God fulfills his promises. Zechariah speaks not only directly to the child John in verses 73 to 77, but also to all who wish to live in a covenant relationship with God based on faith and belief in the dayspring from on high, meaning the one who brings light into the spiritual darkness of mankind. The reading text will be from the Book of Common Prayer, second lesson, uh, the first alternate after the second lesson in morning prayer, also called Matins in the English prayer books and in the Roman Catholic tradition. The illustration is a detail of Zacharias from the previously mentioned late 20th century fresco at the Greek Orthodox Church in the Christian Quarter of Jerusalem. and to remember his holy covenant, to perform the oath which he swore to our forefather Abraham that he would give us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people for the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. When the song is over, St. Luke suggests the importance of events still to come, saying in verse 80, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. The day of his manifestation does not refer to a specific day, but to a time when what is meant to happen will happen, or, as St. Luke will write next time, when it came to pass, the illustration is a circa 1620 A.D. tempera and gold on panel icon, the Desert Angel John the Forerunner, painted by Prokopi Chirin in the Stroganov School style, and now in the collection of the Tretyakov Gallery in Moscow, Russia. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are beginning with the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints. From the first series, St. John is the focus of Episode 4, St. Mark of Episode 7, John the Baptist of Episode 10, St. Matthew of Episode 14, St. Luke of Episode 15, From the second series, Gabriel is featured in episode 23. In the 12 Days of Christmas video series, with one episode for each of the 12 days from Christmas Day to Epiphany Eve, obedience is the key word for the fifth day of Christmas, December 29th, demonstrated in the life of St. Mary and St. Joseph. Church is the key word for eighth day of Christmas, January 1st, in which the Jewish naming and circumcision rituals are discussed. And finally, grace and faith are the key words for 12th day of Christmas, January 5th. In the Great O Antiphon series, the featured subject for December 21st is O Clavis David, or Key of David, and O Orion's, or Spring, for December 22nd. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated, topics in this episode are discussed in the Preface and in Part 1, Luke and His Gospels, which includes the history, authorship, intended audience themes, and unique content. In Chapter 1, topics included are the Second Angelic Annunciation, the Betrothal of Joseph and Mary, the Blessed Virgin's visit with her cousin Elizabeth, the singing of the Magnificat, the birth of John the Baptist, and the Benedictus canticle, or Song of Zacharias. The illustration from page 24 is the birth and naming of John the Baptist from the pericope book of Henry II. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is discussed with illustrations on pages Thirteen to twenty with a text box Isaiah in Christian liturgy on page sixteen, from Layman's Lexicon there is an unusually large selection of words and phrases of interest for this episode, including angels slash archangels, Annunciation, Benedictus, faith, fear of the Lord, Gabriel, Holy Spirit, kingdom, Magnificat, and type which is a variation of parallelism. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, a page on our website featuring information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Entries usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page by clicking the links at the top or the bottom of the page of each page on our website or by entering the direct URL address in your web browser, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog, with blog in all small letters. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, which you'll find in the right-hand column, And afterward, entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 13 of the New Testament Gospels. Next time in episode 14, I begin discussion of chapter 2, in which St. Luke again shifts the focus away from the narrative of Elizabeth, Zacharias, and John, and in which Jesus enters the stream of human history in the nativity account, including the final two songs in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Gloria in Excelsis and the Nunc Dimittis, or Song of Simeon, and the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.